Yes. Praise God for his goodness. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church on this Easter weekend. If you have your sermon notes, grab those. We've titled this weekend, Rise. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened over three days. Friday was a day of pain and suffering. Saturday was a day of perplexity, confusion, doubt for the disciples. And Sunday, of course, the day of celebration, the day of joy. In your life, you will go through all of those days over and over again. In fact, I have, I hate to tell you this, but uh, you're going to have days of pain and perplexity. The Bible is very clear about that. In fact, the Bible promises us that. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will have pain and perplexity, but take heart, I've overcome the world, 1633 of John. And so if there's a weekend you need to listen up, this, is, this would be it, because some of you are maybe going through pain and perplexity right now, and I'm going to give you some insight on how to kind of get through that to days of joy. But all of us will experience days of pain and perplexity, so you need to know how to how to get through that so you can begin to have those days of joy that God wants us to experience. Here's the thesis statement. It's on your notes there. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection not only give us a model, so they not only give us a model, but also a means to get through days of pain and perplexity and rise into days of joy. Let me give you th- three verses that kind of, kind of build the foundation for this thinking this study here this morning. First Peter 1, 3. Let's read this verse together and aloud. It should be here up on the screen. Yes, it is. You guys ready? Nice and loud all together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you have your notes in front of you, underline those three words, a living hope, a living hope. That's what he wants for us to have. Notice, to be born again to a living hope. What? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope is not wishful thinking. It's not how the Bible uses the word hope. In fact, it is a vibrant, confident, joyful life or living. Why can we have that? Well, look at the next verse. It's on your notes. 1 Peter 2.21. For this For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Underline that phrase there, leaving you an example. In other words, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is a model for us. So if we're going to have this living hope, we've got to recognize that his death, burial, and resurrection is a model, but it's more than a model. It's actually a means. Philippians 3.10, this is Paul's passion for his life. It should be our passion also for followers of Christ and for Christians. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Underline that phrase, the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection is the means by which we can We can get through days of pain and perplexity and rise into days of joy. So let's begin, first of all, with Friday. Friday, the day of pain. Jesus experienced physical, emotional, and spiritual pain beyond comprehension. How many ever uh, saw the movie, Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ? 
Boy, yeah, that was quite a, quite a movie. By the way, you probably didn't realize that's been, that was back in 2004. You guys remember that? That's 13 years ago, a lot of years ago. But I remember when I watched that movie, I wept through most of the movie. It was just overwhelming. Now, crucifixion is so torturous that they had to come up with a word for it. They actually developed a word to help us to understand uh, crucifixion, and it's the word excruciating. And the word excruciating means out of the cross. And so Jesus' pain and suffering was not just physical. It went beyond that. It was emotional, but more importantly, it was, it was spiritual. All the sin, all of our sin was placed upon him. While he was on the cross. Now, his suffering actually began in Gethsemane, Mark 14, 32 through 36. Let me read these verses because what he's going to do, we're going to learn from Jesus what we need to do in days of pain. Because when you face days of pain, what do you do? He's going to teach us this right here. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here for a while, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, what should I do in days of pain? Here's the first thing. It's on your notes. First fill in the blank. Number one, reach out to God's presence. Reach out to God's presence. This is what we see Jesus doing in verses 35 and 36. In fact, he's doing it in such a way that he even falls to the ground as he's pouring his heart out to the Father. But here's the second thing you need to do. Reach out to a few close friends. So reach out to God's presence. Number two, reach out to a few close friends who will help you to reach out to God's presence. You need to have a few close friends who will help you to reach out to God's presence. That's what we see happening here uh, as Jesus is with his disciples in Gethsemane. It's, it's quite fascinating. Now, what's interesting is that this is really the opposite of what we typically do when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, isn't it? What do we typically do when we go through pain and suffering? We isolate. We don't want to be around people. And yet, Jesus is showing us a different model. In fact, listen to how gut-level honest Jesus is in verse 34. Now, keep in mind, he's with the 11 because one has already deserted them. Who's the one that deserted them? Judas, yeah. So Judas has already abandoned them. So he's with the 11. And then with, within the 11, he's got three that he's even closer to, uh, Peter, James, and John. And listen to what he says to them. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So he's pouring his heart out to them. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm overwhelmed with life, what's going on here, what I'm going to be facing. Now, let me ask you this question. Look up here just for a minute. You need to understand this, and this is a question you need to be able to answer. Do you have anyone in your life, do you have anyone in your life that you can have that, that gut-level honesty, and you can pour your heart out to them? as Jesus is showing us. Do you have anybody in your life that you can do that with? It's pretty important. See, see, God never intended for you to do life on your own. He never intended for you to do life on your own. 
In fact, here at Desert Breeze, Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become family. We call it life groups here. We have a lot of smaller groups that meet beyond just the weekend service. We've got the week, meet throughout the week. This is what I would encourage you to do. Get plugged into one of these life groups or start your own. Call up a few friends, Christian friends, and start hanging out with them and start cultivating that level of relationship. And if you do that, you, you have no excuse for not having the support that you need. Now, you don't wait until you have pain and perplexity. It's inevitable. It's coming. You don't wait until you're going through pain and perplexity to all of a sudden cultivate those relationships. It's hard to do that during that time. It's before those things happen that you, you want to have those, those relationships. It's kind of like, uh, you know, putting on your seatbelt after you've already had an accident, okay? Sounds a little crazy, but that's, that, that's a little bit like it. I mean, you need that support when you're going through hard times to kind of restrain you and to keep you in your seat and not throw you from the vehicle, so to speak. And so we all need that. But how do we, how do we reach out to God's presence? How do we do that? I think this, there's a model prayer here that Jesus gives us, there's three things to pray when you're in pain. Here's the first thing that you need to pray. Affirm God's love, wisdom, and power. You're going through pain. The first thing you need to do, Jesus models it for us, affirm God's love, wisdom, and power. We see verse 36a, he says, Abba, Father, the implication there is that God is a loving Father. He's a daddy who loves us and he's really wise. All things are possible for you. That speaks of his power. So in the context of his love, wisdom, and power, this is what you pray. Ask boldly, verse 36b, remove this cup from me. This is what Jesus is saying. So he says, this is unbearable. I can't get through this. Remove this from me. So he asks boldly, but then he surrenders completely, verse 36c. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now that's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. So let me ask you this. How do you get through the difficulties of life when you're experiencing extreme pain in your life? Do you have that ability to accept what God sends into your life, whether or not you really understand it? How many of you have ever had things uh, come into your life that it just, you didn't understand it, you couldn't figure it out. You're just like, oh my goodness, this, is, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. This is, uh, so how, did, how in the world did Jesus do this? How is Jesus able to say, take it away from me, but whatever you want, I'm good with? That's what he's saying. So how do we do that? I think Jesus is showing us that he really, uh, he was able to do it because he trusted the Father's perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power. So what we've got to do if I'm gonna be able to pray this kind of a prayer, remember I said in the context, in the context of his love, wisdom, and power, this is what I've gotta know. I've gotta know this, not just kind of as a concept in my head, but a reality in my heart. I've gotta know that in his perfect love, he, he wants what is best for me. In his infinite wisdom, he knows what is best for me. In his unlimited power, he's gonna do what is best for me. In fact, what I need to always keep in mind is that he will give to me what I would have asked for if I knew everything that he knew. I can trust his loving, wise control over my life. That's what we see modeled here when we're going through difficulties and pain. So um, as we sing this next song, Suffering Servant, this is what I want you to do. I want you to reflect on this Hebrews 2.18. 
And it says, because he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So this is what I would invite you to do. As they're singing this song, think about the words, but reach out to his presence. Has it been a while? He's here. We can meet with him. You can know him. You can know and have a sense of his presence on your heart. And as you do that, pray this Gethsemane prayer. So Friday, the day of pain, reach out to God's presence with a few close friends. Saturday, the day of perplexity. Mark chapter 14, verses 27 and 50. Let's read these two verses together and aloud. You guys ready? Here we go. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then you jump to verse 50, and it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. Now think about these disciples. They spent three years with this man, Christ Jesus. All their hopes and dreams were in him. They believed what he said. And now they're watching him hang on the cross. Oh my goodness. They were shaken to the core of their being. Have you ever been there? They were perplexed. Perplexed? Yeah. Perplexity? No doubt. Regret, guilt, doubt, confusion, anxiety, anger, depression. They were flooded with all of those emotions. Let me, uh, let me kind of level with you here. You have an adversary And if he can't get you to doubt God's existence, he will get you to doubt God's goodness, especially when life doesn't make sense. And your head's gonna spin, and you're gonna go, oh my goodness, what in the world is this all about? That's where the disciples are. So here's my question for us. How to get through days of perplexity? How do we get through days of perplexity? You'll need to come back next week to hear the answer to that question. I'm kidding. I did that last week. But uh, no, I'm going to give you, I'll give you a glimpse. I'll give you a glimpse of it here this, uh, this morning. But you'll have to come back next week for the full meal deal, okay? Full meal deal next week. We're going to continue to work through the gospel according to Luke, certainty in a world of doubt. And we're going to see the, one of the greatest men who ever lived, John the Baptist, he's going to struggle with doubt, You're going to have a bout with doubt. And and so what do we do with that? We're going to talk about that. But let me give you just kind of a glimpse here. Here's what you do. How to get through days of perplexity. Number one, remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. Psalm 119.50 says, God's promises comfort us in our pain and perplexity. Jesus had promised his disciples that their sorrow would turn into joy. Part of the upper room discourse, this was just hours before he was going to be hanging on the cross Uh, Jesus told them, you guys are going to have sorrow, and it's going to be deep, and it's going to be harsh, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And uh, it's quite fascinating. He gave them that promise, but they had obviously forgotten that promise. Those watching Jesus die on the cross had no idea that they were witnessing the greatest act of salvation in history. So they were struggling. Now, this is what you need to understand is that the Bible gives us thousands of promises. Some estimate there's anywhere from six to 7,000 promises in the Bible in regards to God's relationship with us, what he promises to us. And so what do you do when you don't know God's promises? Well, you do what the disciples are doing. You're going to be perplexed because you're going to have pain in life and you're going to be perplexed by that pain if you don't know God's promises. You're going to become, if you don't know God's promises, you will become, you're going to worry, you're going to become anxious, you're going to become very bitter, 
and you're going to be depressed. If you don't know God's promises, you can't claim them. They're a whole lot like checks sent to you piling up in your mailbox. There's a ton of promises that God has in regards to, to your life. So you've got to remember God's promises. And when you begin to remember God's promises, you can walk by faith and not by feelings. That's your next two fill in the blanks. You can walk by faith and not by feelings. And I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about this. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods, in spite of your changing circumstances. See, not knowing the promises of God is like flying a plane into a storm and not being instrument trained. We've got a few commercial pilots here at Desert Breeze. And uh, fortunately, they are uh, instrument trained because we fly with them. And, but I, I've known people actually that, uh, that, in fact, the story you maybe have heard from me is when I was working out of Palo Verde, there were four guys that would fly from Prescott into Palo Verde. They'd land out there in a little, it was a little crop dusting little airstrip that was out there. In fact, I flew out there just a little while from Deer Valley Airport with a guy. He was instrument trained, yes, and I was thankful for that. But these guys weren't. The guy that was flying that plane, they flew into a vicious storm, and uh, he became disoriented. He flew the plane into the ground and killed all four of them. And that's what happens to us, is what happens in the difficulties, in the pain and perplexity of life. If I don't have the instruments of God's word to come back to, I'm going to become, inevitably, I'm going to become disoriented. I'm going to crash my life. That's, that's, that's the point. That's what we need to understand. Apart from a miracle, you will inevitably become disoriented and crash your life, crash your plane. Now, listen to me. This is what's fascinating about God's promises. If there's that many promises in God's word, there's a promise for every one of your problems. Anybody have a, a problem or two? You guys, anybody? I bet my problems are longer than yours, bigger than yours, huh? Should we compare our list? I've got a long list, you've got a long list, but the Bible has a longer list of promises for every one of our problems. Did you know that? And so that's why we need to know what the Bible says about God's promises in regards to our problems. Believe me, you would be resting a whole lot more than what you are if you knew God's promises and the God of those promises. It's getting to know the God of those promises. Not just knowing the promises, but knowing the God of those promises. Next point in your notes, promises are only as good as the one who makes them. So, so, so here we go. I'm, I'm gonna give you a promise from God's word. It's, it's one of my favorite promises from God's word. And uh, it's taken from what, what I believe is the greatest chapter in the Bible. We studied this last summer, Romans chapter 8. It's one of my favorite promises. And this promise, if you not just agree with it, believe it in your head, but it becomes real to your heart, it will not only increase your trust in the promise maker, but you'll see that this promise covers every one of your problems. What? Any takers? You're not very excited about that. I am. Because it's a great promise. Okay, here we go. Because you, you're kind of looking at me like you're doubting me right now, okay? Okay, let me give you the promise. You've heard this before. It's phenomenal. It's Romans 8, 31, and 32. This is what's known as heaven's logic. It goes like this. If God is for us, who can be against? Oh, yes! You guys know it. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Do you hear heaven's logic in that? He's saying, hey, 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 listen. 
If God dealt with your worst problem, oh, by the way, what was your worst problem? You're gonna be eternally separated from him because of your sin. That's your worst problem. He stepped in and died in your place for your sin to reconcile you to God once and for all. Amazing. So he's saying, hey, if he took care of your worst problem, he's got all your other problems taken care of. Does that make sense? I mean, that's amazing. That's, that is something to go, yes, yay, God. Praise God, I'm thankful for that. Because if he sacrificed his son for us, nothing we could ever receive can possibly compare with God's gift of the sacrifice of his son in our place for our sins. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to think that he would fail to provide you with everything you need between your conversion and your final resurrection to be with him for all eternity. So when you give way to excessive anxiety, anger, and depression, you're committing an act of gospel irrationality. It just doesn't make sense because you're not living in the reality of what he's promised. And maybe you just don't know the, you don't know the promise maker very well, and you're not resting in his perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power. Listen to me. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you. It was his love for you. Jesus wasn't a martyr whose life was taken from him, but he was on a mission giving up his life to rescue us from our sins and to reconcile us to the Father once and for all. That's the point of that. So let me read this verse, Romans 8, 31 and 32, from the message. Listen to what it says. I love it. It really does a good job. So, What do you think? With God on your side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his son, his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Did you hear that? Okay. So here's a song we're gonna do right now. It's Be Thou My Vision. And this is what I would ask you to, to do as, as we're singing this song, reflecting on the words, ask God to help you to not see him through your circumstances, but see your circumstances through God's promises as you learn to walk by faith and not by your feelings. You may be seated. So Friday, the day of pain, reach out to God's presence with a few close friends. Saturday, the day of perplexity. Remember God's promises so that you can walk by faith and not by feelings. And now, Sunday, the day of joy. The day of joy. John 11, 25 through 26. Let's read these verses together and aloud. You ready? Here we go. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh my goodness, those are amazing verses. Those are amazing verses. So if you look at that first phrase, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's talking heaven there. And then the next phrase, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's talking a slice of heaven on earth is what he's talking about. So being reconciled to the Father, having God in our lives, slice of heaven on earth. So the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he is, defeating sin and death, and all who trust in him are raised to this new life in this world, brand new life, That's verse 26, slice of heaven on earth and to everlasting life in the world to come. That's verse 25. So how do I get to the days of joy? Here's uh, number one on your notes. 
rely on God's power. It's all about God's power and, and his work. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a historical fact. Let me emphasize that just for a minute. If you do the research, do the research, you're going to find that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical, evidential, it's factual. In fact, there's so much evidence giving validity and veracity to not only the scriptures that we study week in and week out, but the reality of this man, Christ Jesus, that he resurrected from the grave. You'd have to commit intellectual suicide to deny the evidence. So it's more than that. It's more than a historical fact. It should be a daily reality in our lives, his power, his work in our lives. God loves to turn crucifixions, it's over, into resurrections. No, it's not. I love it. See, you need to understand really what the gospel is. A lot of people don't even know what the gospel is. If I were to ask most you know, the average American Christian, what is the gospel? They couldn't tell you what the gospel is. Here's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins and all who repent and believe have everlasting life. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Now this is what's fascinating about it. This is what separates Christianity from every other major cult and religion of our world today. Every religion. Every other religion, if you listen to what they say, they will give you good advice at what you must do to be right with God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. Good news about what God has done to make us right with him. So it's his work. And you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And believe me, the more you begin to understand that, and that takes hold of your life, it gives you joy. That's the next on your notes. The opposite of joy is not sadness, but hopelessness. And so he gives us this joy, which is a buoyancy that comes from the pleasures in the eternal privileges we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So buoyancy, yeah, life can push you down. There's no doubt about it. You're going to face uh, pain and perplexity, but it can't keep you down. It can't keep you down because, because of, of the pleasure you find in the eternal privileges that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me give you just, here's a short list. Here's three of the major privileges that we have so we can enter into these privileges by grace through faith in Christ. Here's the first one. My past sins are forgiven. The, the theological words for that word for this is justification. Oh my goodness, I love that one because I got a whole list of sins, but it's not as big as your list, though, I know, because I know you. Now, we all have long lists. We all are desperate for a Savior. Thank God we have one. He forgives us. He forgives us of all of our sins, not just past, but present and future. And, and then the next one is that my present suffering and sin, you could add sin to that, can be overcome. The Bible, the theological word for that is sanctification, that's wholeness or holiness, and then my future in heaven is secure. So when I take my last breath on earth, I take my first breath to be with him for all eternity because I've put my faith in Jesus, in his work, and because of his power working in my life. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. He can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead emotional, financial, relational, physical, spiritual life or situation. He can do that. He can do that for you. 
Now, I had someone a couple, a couple weeks ago come up to me at the end of the service, and this is what they said to me. They said, um, they said Pastor Ray, I have this dilemma. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a paradox. I am so angry at God because of the pain and perplexity that I'm experiencing. But at the same time, at the same time, I know that I can't get through this pain and perplexity without him. And I said, you're right on. That's where we all are. We all struggle with that. So let me ask you this question this morning. Have you let your pain and perplexity come between you and God? If you have, it's time to come back home. See, I love what uh, missionary to China, late 1800s, Hudson Taylor says, it's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. Let it press you near his heart. This is what you're gonna find. If you let it press you near his heart, <laughs> you're gonna find in his eternal uh, you're going to find pleasure in his eternal privileges that will blow your mind away. You'll go, oh, my goodness. And it will give you a joy and it will give you a buoyancy that you're going you're gonna to be able to get through the pain and the perplexity of your life. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. No one loves you. No one loves you like Jesus. He gave his life for you. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So as we, as we sing Psalm 16 by by grace, put your faith in Christ. Experience the pleasures of eternal privileges we have through him. See, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures beyond your wildest dreams that nothing in this world can give you. I, I love his presence. I absolutely love his presence. There's, there's pleasure and there's joy and there's satisfaction that's found in his, his presence that can't be found any place else. So how do, you, how, how do you have this experience of his presence in your life? How do you become a Christian? How do you become a Christian? I, I've got some verses there up on the screen. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is, is in, in Christ. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Justified just means you're in right standing with God. And you do that, you do that by putting your faith in, in Christ Jesus. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you've never made a confession of faith, this would be a great time to do that this morning. And, and if you have, this would be a great time to renew that confession of faith in Jesus. In fact, if, this, if you make that confession of faith in Jesus this morning, we would invite you to continue to hang out here with us at Desert Breeze. And then come in about three weeks, we're going to do a water baptism party to celebrate your confession of faith. So, so that would be kind of, the, kind of the starting blocks for your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. I'm going to walk you through this prayer. If you've never made a confession of faith, this is what it would sound like just between you and God. As God, your word tells us, if we confess with our mouth, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord, Lord of our lives. We believe in our heart that God, Father, you raised him from the dead and you told us, you promised us that we would be saved because with our heart, we believe. We believe that and we are justified. We're in right standing with you and with the mouth, we, are, we confess that. 
and we are saved in you. And God, I pray for each person that's doing that, maybe for the first time, and many of us that are renewing that confession of faith in you this morning. Help us to see that salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that, that we begin in, in a moment, but we maintain the rest of our lives. That this is a lifelong passionate pursuit of an ongoing and growing relationship with Christ Jesus that we nurture through prayer and Bible study and, and involvement in a local church family. And so God, help us to do that. Thank you, Father, that when we reach out to you and to your presence with a few close friends and remember your promises and rely on your power by grace, we can get through days of pain and perplexity and rise into days of joy. And it's all because Jesus paid it all in his beautiful name. Everyone said amen. 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 Would you stand with us as we conclude our time together as we sing this song? Jesus paid it all, paid it all for us and, all, and enjoy the eternal privileges that we have in him. Love you guys.